Joshua and, and well, the Lord. The Lord led three million people across uh, an uncrossable river. And I left off in, in Joshua um, chapter 4. And so I feel like what I'm supposed to do, and I was talking to someone else, and they said, man, it'd be great if you have a sequel to that. And I said, you know, I think, uh, I think that's where God's leading me. So we're going to do a continuation from, uh, uh, from Joshua. So um, now the great promises that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're about to be realized as the people of Israel, as they're coming into the promised land. And they finally arrived at the promised land, based on uh, what we read um, last month. Um, so Joshua had led them across the Jordan River, and they're just getting ready to move forward. Um, now there's no more manna from heaven. They're going to have to learn to grow their own food, and they're going to um, defeat the enemies in Cana. So God was establishing uh, a foundation of faith in a new generation. So they crossed to the Jordan River, and now they're heading towards the promised land. And actually, many Bible scholars, people um, think that the, uh, that's a good representation of our salvation experience. When we come out of the wilderness, um, come out of the world, and then we go into, um, by faith, we, we accept the gift of, of uh, salvation. So a crossing over into the promises of God. But before they, pro- they cross over, um, they, before they enter into the promised land, there is a vital lesson. There's always a lesson that God wants us to learn. Uh, he wants the Israelites to learn and us in order to show them how to truly live in the promised land. So that's where we're going to pick it up from. So before we do, let's, let's pray. God, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for this day already, Lord. We thank you for the worship, God. We thank you for the prophetic words that were given, Lord. We thank you for the songs that were chosen, God. And Lord, we just pray that we're going to be able to walk right through it today, God, whatever we're facing, wherever we're at, Lord. God, we just need to hear from you this morning. Lord, we just need clarity, God. Uh, Lord, just consume all that we are, like that song says, and have your way with us. Lord, we give you permission this morning. God, we're open. Clear our minds, Lord, our hearts, so that your word will come alive to us this morning, God. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing, Lord, and all that you're about to do as we open up your word and we begin to read it, Lord. And God, we just thank you for all that you're doing, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the warriors tonight, God. Give them victory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So what's that vital, what's that crucial lesson that God wants them to learn? Well, if you get your Bibles out, we're going to turn to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. But how many of you know that um, God gets us ready for battle? Um, for our good and for his glory, because, this is important, because we cannot go into God's battle in our own strength or in our own flesh. So we cannot expect a spiritual victory if we are fighting our battles in the flesh, right? It just doesn't work that way, especially in God's economy. So, and we know that because Ephesians 6, 12 tells us, he says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So they, the Israelites, are in their new life positionally, but are they ready to defeat the enemy 
practically. So if you've chosen to follow Jesus and make him your Lord and Savior, then positionally you have the victory of the promised life, all right? And that is eternity. But you may not be experiencing much of the promised life because you may not realize how God has required you to fight the battles. So uh, a friend of mine who um, got out of jail once, he shared with me that he said, I wasn't prepared for the fiery darts. He said, um, uh, he, he told me that he thought that he could handle the circumstances, the situation that were coming his way in his own strength. He said, uh, I, thought I, I thought because I was saved that that's all I needed. I just needed God, and that's part of it. He said, but uh, he, wasn't, um, he wasn't reaching out during those, and the, during those spiritual battles that were going on in his mind. He wasn't reaching out. He wasn't really reading his word, and so he ended up, uh, he slipped, and he ended up back in jail. And he said, I just, I thought that that's all I needed was just to be saved. He goes, I really wasn't prepared for the spiritual battle that came my way. And it's a real battle, and it's something that we all um, face at one point or another. And so uh, the book of Joshua uh, teaches us how to truly live in the promised land that's been given to us through Jesus Christ. And so we're about to see a, a crucial lesson, a requirement that's needed uh, to prepare us to actually walk in the victory that God has for us in the promised land. You're going to hear me repeat, and you say, why is he repeating this? Because repetition is the mother of all learning. So you're going to hear this promised land and promised life. Um, so let's pick it up. Hopefully you're all there. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. So when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. So God's awesome and miraculous power had caused panic in the enemy. And some translations even say that, that the, uh, the Amorites and the Canaanites, that they, their hearts melted and that they lost spirit because of what they just saw. So this is actually it's interesting. It's, it's a really it's a strategic moment, if you think about it. The momentum uh, has built up. The Israelites, they're prepared. They're pumped. They're ready to go forth, take the enemy. And then what happens? Um, God, well, let's, well, let's read what happens. We'll look at verse 2. It says, um, At this time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at Gebeth Harloth. Ouch, right? So that seems a little odd. Why would God choose to delay the battle? I mean, the, we just read that the, that the enemy is paralyzed with fear. So this is a great time, like I said, to advance forward. But instead, he chooses God, basically says to all the men, they, all the soldiers that were getting ready for the battle to stop and, 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 get, and get circumcised, right? So talk about being vulnerable. Talk about, um, uh, the, you know, they're exposed to the enemy and they're in this very compromised position. Uh, some of the commentaries I was reading talked about the proximity or the closeness of Jericho, which would be the first uh, city they would, they would take. Um, and, and they said that, that maybe they could even see them, uh, the Israelites camped out, uh, in, in, the, uh, 
uh, in the land. And so, remember, the, the enemy was, they knew that the Israelites were coming, and they were probably geared up, gearing up for this battle. So what's God doing? You know, what's going on here? So let's, let's talk about this. Circumcision. Circumcision is, the, is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 17, where God takes, uh, makes a covenant with Abram. So in verse 4, it says, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. We know that. Verse 10, This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. And it says you must cut off the flesh of, of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. So a covenant is an agreement between two parties. And there's basically two types of covenants. There's a conditional covenant, and there's an unconditional covenant. And so a, a conditional covenant is an agreement between um, um, two parties, and it's binding um, and for its fulfillment. So both people have to do something in order for it to happen. An unconditional covenant is an agreement between two parties, but only one of the two parties has to do something. Nothing is required of the other party. So the Mosaic Covenant, which Pastor talked a little bit about um, last week, the Mosaic Covenant was centered around God's giving the Ten Commandments to Moses, and that's found in Exodus 20. It's It's important to understand that the Mosaic Covenant differs significantly from the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis. The Mosaic Covenant is conditional, which means that the blessings of God, uh, the blessings that God promises are directly related to Israel's obedience. So very simply, if Israel, Israel obeys, God blesses. If Israel um, disobeys, then God punishes. Uh, the, the unconditional blood covenant uh, that was made with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, is the way that God has chosen to interact with us. It's the foundation of our relationship um, with God through Jesus Christ. Matthew 26 says, For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. And it's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Amen. So circumcision was a sign, and it symbolized the cutting away of sin. And, and it was a cleansing process that took place. So cutting away is the old nature of sin and self-reliance, which is the flesh. So circumcision is, is actually a picture of the spiritual destruction of our sin nature so that we are made to depend on God's grace and God's strength alone. All right? But true circumcision... It's actually the circumcision of the heart. And we find this in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And ultimately, though, circumcision cannot make a person right with God. Right? The law is not enough. A person's heart must change. And Paul calls, the, calls this change circumcision of the heart. He says we cannot do this on our own, and we need the help of Jesus. And we see that in the New Testament, Colossians Two says, when you came to Christ, this is so important, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision 
the cutting away of your sinful nature. And Romans 2, 9, 29 says, No, a true Jew, which is a member of God's people, is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. So in the Old Testament, um, the physical circumcision was a sign of an inward circumcision of the heart, which should sound familiar, familiar because I think that's our water baptism, right? It's an outward uh, appearance of what's going on inwardly. So in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy uh, 10 says, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Deuteronomy 30 says, The Lord, your God, will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. So circumcision is a picture of cutting away, the putting off of the old flesh nature of sin and self-reliance. And it's doing the right thing both on the inside and the outside. All right, verse 4, Joshua, verse, chapter 5, verse 4, it says, So Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight in the battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the Exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. But why weren't they circumcised, right? So God's telling us that we need to do this because they were wandering around in the wilderness of disobedience for 40 years. It's interesting. Did you know that, that um, they saw more signs and wonders in the desert than any other group in history? And yet, verse 6, we're going to read it. It says that it was their unbelief that kept them from the promised land. Look at verse 6. For they had disobeyed the Lord through their unbelief, and the Lord vowed he would not let them enter the land he had sworn to give, and to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So this new generation of Israelites, they had been brought right up into the edge of the promised land without cutting away the flesh. And that had, um, that had to happen before they could take one more step further. So again, God was reestablishing uh, his covenant or his promises to the Israelites through circumcision. He was working on their hearts, on the hearts of Israel, before he gave them even one minor victory. Hmm. So if you made Jesus Christ your Lord, then you have been brought, like I said earlier, to the promised life positionally through Christ in faith, and it's our position in Christ that is given to us freely. It's, it's a free gift through his grace and through our faith alone. And we know this in Ephesians 2. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, through your faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But now each of us must come with um, humility, and we must submit our souls to God. So the old sin nature, the flesh of our hearts must begin to be cut away, and it must be cut from our lives. 
And how do we do this? If you, if you have your Bibles with you, Romans 6 now, 6 verses 11, 12, and 13 show us how to do this. So Romans 6, 11 says, So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. So since you're, since you're dead to the power of sin, positionally, then you must act like it. In other words, you must cut away the flesh and stop allowing it to have power over you. Verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. So Jesus has given us the victory. We just talked about that. We, 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 if, we, uh, if we learn to live in it, if we believe it, if we embrace it, and we own it every day. And this is the daily walk. This is the daily occurrence. You just don't read these scriptures and say, okay, I read it so sin goes away. No. So it's a daily battle. It's daily walking out of our faith, uh, uh, daily trusting God in every circumstance, in every situation. And it's a process where God strengthens us and renews us. In verse 13, it says, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life, the promised life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. And this is how. This is the how right here. It says, the more you give yourself completely to God, the less you will serve sin and the less you will be used as an instrument of evil. The more you give yourself completely to God, the more you will hate sin. And the more you hate sin, then the more you will desire to cut away the sin in your life. And that right there is circumcision of the heart. Let's keep reading. Verse 7 of Joshua. So Joshua circumcised their sons those who had grown up to take their father's places, for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. So this is important to hear. I'm going to drink water. This is good stuff. I didn't write it, though. God did, so let's just absorb it and take it in here. So a circumcision of the heart, it cannot take place in the wilderness of disobedience. That's important to know. If we try to live in the promised life without first letting God cut away the flesh, we're going to experience frustration. We're going to experience failure, uh, heartache. Um, For this reason, circumcision symbolizes the need for a profound, deep cleansing to reverse the effects of depravity. So it says, today, he circumcises our hearts, the cutting away of sins. And circumcision, it's a matter of the heart, led by the Spirit and not by the letter of the law. So cutting away of the flesh, it it can be in the natural. There's some things you can naturally do. So removing things that don't bring us life. So the things that we watch, the things that we look at, um, maybe uh, the things that we engage in, Maybe relationships that we are not 
uh, that are not encouraging us or giving us life. But basically, anything that draws us away from God and not to God. But cutting away the flesh, it's also those things that we don't necessarily see outwardly. So it can be um, like uh, Chip, if you were uh, watching the video last week, he was talking about uh, our attitudes, right? Like, hey, I'm here. I'm working, right? You see me, don't you? Just pay me. I mean, if you were here, you saw that. It was kind of funny. Maybe it's not as funny right now, but, uh, <laughs> but just uh, it's, it's our attitude that's cutting. Uh, it's, uh, maybe it's our pride. Um, it's anger. It's uh, unbelief, uh, criticism, judgments. So circumcision of the heart is the continual putting off of the old flesh in our life and our own will. And that's why God has all of Israel go through this event right now before they fight one battle in the promised land. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. So it was, when they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Okay, so just a little side note. We give kudos to Joshua because Joshua is given, uh, it's not an easy assignment that he's given, right? He's a new leader. He's a new commander-in-chief. And then he gets the task of circumcising all the men. And, but God knew Joshua's heart. He knew that he could trust him. He knew that he was faithful and he was obedient. And Joshua, more importantly, I think too, he trusted God. He just obeyed. He just listened to his instructions and he didn't follow his own wisdom. So it says that he rolled away the reproach of Egypt. That means that he removed the residue. He rolled away and took away the stench of Egypt. So as we submit ourselves to God, he responds by rolling away the shame of our slavery, our, slavery, our slavery or bondage to sin, just like the song was saying, uh, we just sung earlier. So he rolls away that um, bondage of sin and uh, even shame in our lives. Now, even though that they had been out of Egypt for 40 years, Egypt was still in them. And it's hard to break off the past, our old identities, um, but... They had to look forward to the future, right? They, they needed to see themselves now as conquerors and no longer as slaves, right? And I know we all have a past, and uh, we are to look at our past. We can look at it, but we're not to live there. Refuse to be limited by the past because God has called us to create the future. That's so good. I found that quote. Refuse to be limited by the past because God has, caused, has called us to create the future. And God calls us what? He calls us his beloved. He calls us his child. First Peter says, you are a chosen generation. That's us. A world priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I think that part eight is really important here. And it's worth noting that it says that they stayed in camp until they were healed. 
So we have to have time to heal. We have to have time to recover. The process that God takes us through, it takes time. And he knows it. And God, he seems like he's never in a hurry. Right? He's, always, he's always on time. And he knew that they needed time to heal. Even one translation says that they stayed in the camp till they were whole, till they were made whole again. So let the Holy Spirit heal some places before you run into battle. I think that's important. And Andy Stanley said what? Time is your friend, not your enemy. So get strong, get encouraged. We're supposed to rest and get refreshed before. Um, that way, so that you'll be ready for the battles that are ahead of you. We're not, we don't have time to go into it, but in chapter 6, um, the first battle that takes place, which really isn't a battle, but it's the destruction of Jericho, um, that, uh, that as many of you, uh, you know this, that the fascinating part of that story, of that destruction of Jericho, is that the Israelites didn't lift one finger, right? They obeyed God, and they just walked around the city walls. And when God told them to raise their voices in praise, the walls came tumbling down. Amen. I think we sang that song there. Um, So, uh, because God fought the battles on their behalf. They just needed to stand. And that's so good. Sometimes we just need to stand. That's what I think is so interesting about the story, about reading the Old Testament. As you start reading and you start getting into it, and you uh, and start, what does this mean? And you're researching and you're listening and you're, and you're asking God. It's like, it gets pretty exciting. It, 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 there's a lot of good stuff. So hopefully this encourages you uh, to read your word. So God gets all the glory when we listen and when, when we obey, when we do things his way. So I want to encourage you that God is faithful to fulfill every promise that was spoken today, prophetically, every promise that he will fulfill. And the, his Bible is loaded with promises. I started to, I was going to name a few, but I had 30, and I'm like, okay, I don't have enough time to start going through all these. So I stopped and said, okay, well, we'll get to that later. Um, so he knows that we, what we need in each and every battle that we face. So he wants us to inhabit the promised land to get comfortable in the places that he provides to us not be bound or limited by shame. You know, this reminds me, um, a few years back, I was going through just a really, a really turbulent time. I felt like I was getting um, hit on all sides, all fronts. I was going through a major battle. I was feeling very um, overwhelmed. I was very vulnerable. I was very frustrated. I, was, I wanted this to end. And then one night, I had a dream. It's like God speaks to me when I'm quiet, when I'm asleep. And I had a dream. And this dream was I was being chased by witches. And so witches are chasing me, and I'm running, and I find this old farmhouse, and I just run straight into it, and I'm looking around, and I'm running around room to room trying to hide because I know it's just a matter of time before they come in. And I'm running, I'm going upstairs, and I'm running, and before I know it, I'm trapped up in the attic. And then I, I, uh, I see the witches, and they are lighting fire to the house. So I'm like, oh, boy. So um, I, I look over, and I have this blanket next to me. So I, oh, okay, so I get the blanket, and I just start opening up this blanket, just unfolding this blanket, and this blanket, and then all of a sudden, I just, I get on, on the blanket, and I just sit down. And then sure enough, I'm just there, I can smell the smoke, and, and before I know it, the 
the fire comes through the floor and there's like a wall of fire all around me. But I know that as long as I stay on this blanket, that I'm safe. It's like a spiritual covering that was around me, like a safety net. And the, uh, a couple days later, I was driving to work and I was on 25 and I leave pretty early, like most of you. It was dark. And uh, up in the distance, I see this, uh, this fire. I'm like, it's kind of strange. I'm driving closer to it, and it's almost like a campfire. It's just a few feet off the road, and it's right there by itself. And I'm, I'm driving by. I'm like, why is there a campfire? I'm just like, what's going on here? Do I need to put it out? Do I stop? Do I just, and no one was around. I'm like, okay. So I just kept, I kept driving, and then I saw the f- fire in my uh, rearview mirror. And then immediately, immediately, I felt the presence of God. And it just came down, and I started just crying. And that dream came to my mind. And then the scripture, I didn't know what it was at the time. It was um, Isaiah 43, verse 2, because I looked it up. And the second part of that scripture is what God spoke to me. It says, when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. And I was just crying because I felt like, God, he saw me. And... Uh, and he knew exactly what was going on in my life. And he said, I'm going to get you through this. In the first part of that verse, it says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And I'm thinking, okay, God, thank you. You saw me. And I know, and I know without a shadow of a doubt that if you are walking through something right now that is challenging or difficult or whatever you're facing, that scripture's for you. God can get you through that as well. Exodus 14:14 14, 14 says, "The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Just stay calm." Um, so I think as you're going through this and as you're thinking about what was being said, I just actually I worship team, will you guys come up? I'm uh, I'm wrapping it up here. Um, there's just a couple of questions that I want to ask you. I want to challenge you this morning. And um, one of them is, are you in the thick of the fight today? Are you in the thick of it? And if you are, then let God prepare you for the battle. We just went through a whole bunch of steps on how he can prepare you for the battle. And then the second thing is, Are you holding on to something of your own flesh? Something of your own um, self and thereby forfeiting the power and the victory of the promised life in Jesus Christ. So as we just learned, as long as we're holding on to our flesh, um, our own strength, our own will, then at some level, we're keeping ourselves out of the promised life that God has for us.